bringing you his authentic perspectives on important topics. They live in suburbs together. They live in the city together. They hang out together, all in the same family. We're the only idiots that fight because we want our voice to only be on one side. Like, does that even make any sense? And when the side loses, you lose everything. They, on the other hand, have a voice no matter what because somebody that looks like them is always in, in control. Frank, candid, and straight to the point. Well, it's just a skewed uh, system. Of course it is. It's a lot but, of adjustment. But, but answer my question, though. Should we let people what? go? Should we let people go? Like, let's just forget about bail altogether. And if your neighbor commits what a homicide and kills people up... Nah, if you kill people and they next to you and you just let them come back and live right next to you, they can live upstairs from you. Let them come in your house. Frank, candid and straight to the point. This is the best radio show in the state of Wisconsin. Truth in the Afternoon with Dr. Ken Harris on 1017 The Truth and The Truth App. Now, he's the mayor of the city of Milwaukee. He's a young man. Give him a chance. I only complain about things that I care about. What I want you to do is pretend like I'm in St. Louis. And all I'm asking the mayor and the common council president and the common council, show me. Now, live from the American Family Insurance Studio at the Avenue in the heart of downtown Milwaukee, here is Dr. Ken Harris. No, that one. Yeah. That's a, she, <laughs> she looked at me like, what is he doing? So I always salute my LinkedIn audience before I start and when I finish. <laughs> so she saw me, she was like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know sometimes I look strange and look weird. Hey, you're listening to Truth in the Afternoon. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Harris. I'm excited. I am wound up because I am so, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it, is it appropriate as a Christian man at my age to say the word pissed off. Look, watch this. I heard Tory Lowe say it and I heard Sherman Hughes say it so I could say it. Okay. Like I've gone through this affirmative action thing. And so that's what our show is going to be about. I want to know your thoughts on the affirmative action Decision made by the United States Supreme Court. What I don't want to hear is all of your complaining and whining about conservative versus liberal and Trump and and the conservative court and all that. I'm talking about affirmative action and I want to narrow it down to explain to you what it is. And then in my top five and five, I'm going to give you my five reasons why I think this passed. Is that fair? 
But I think it's important that we have the discussion about affirmative action and what it really is and what we've assumed that it is. Now, let me first just say this. Our community, sometimes, some people in our community assume they know what something is, assume why something passed, when in fact, it's not accurate. People are reporting that the U.S. Supreme Court banned race-based admissions. And they did, but there's a qualifier on it. And people need to hear that and understand that so they can understand the big picture and figure out a way that we can do things to mitigate it because there are ways around it. Now, I'm not a legal scholar. I'm not a lawyer. Never trained one, never played one on TV or the radio. But I've read enough case law. And based on the logic of the Supreme Court, personally, I understand why they made the decision I'm just not in agreement that they made the decision. Does that make sense? And we'll talk about that. So before we go off half-cocked, screaming and hollering about, oh, my God, it's terrible. Let's go through it. So I have the decision. I didn't download the 223 pages. of, (laughs) But I did download the um, searchary. So I'm not going to even get into the legal part. Basically, I, I got the syllabus. The part that explains what happened, why it happened, what they use for criteria, and the opinion that was written by and supported by Chief Justice John Roberts and on and on and on. They did put in a dissenting opinion by Sotomayor and Kagan joined and Jackson joined. Jackson did not vote. She sat on the board of governors for Harvard University. So being the professional and legal scholar that she is, she knows that she has undue influence and information, not to mention she's biased because she sat on the board. So she recused herself. Smart move. That is what jurists do. If it was for, I don't know where, um, I think John Roberts went to Yale. If it was Yale, John Roberts or anybody on that court that went to Yale would recuse themselves and then they would, or they would only vote on parts or whatever it is. They would, they, we would expect them to recuse themselves, step back and then let the others vote. Now, if that meant that gave a majority vote to the minority on the court, so be it. That is how jurisprudence works. That is how the law works. And that's. Let me rephrase that. That's how it should work. People need to understand what it is. It has nothing to do. Well, let me put it like this. It's strictly confidential in that confidential. That's not the word I was using. It's strictly. See, what, what I'm trying not to do is have to read it, but I've just figured out I'm just going to have to sit here and go through it and read you the argument that was made and what was decided and let you make up your own mind. 
it's it's important that you understand why they made the decision, the case law they used to make the decision, and why it makes sense. What we always have to remember is that this does not does not just affect black students. It affects Hispanic students and Asian. Asian students are the ones that sued an organization representing them. It affects white students and it affects women. And that's what we have to be cognizant of. Basically, it talked about the factors that you use to make a decision for admissions. And that in one of those categories, and I think there were five or six categories they, they used in Harvard. They actually had under one of those categories, one of the factors was race. The Supreme Court said you can't do that. But there's a reason why they said you can't do that. They would have been able to do it had they had a very particular argument that they could support, and they couldn't. Like, they were literally asked, well, what about that? How do you do this? And they, they were like, um, I don't know. We, we don't know what we do. And that was the case, and that's why they lost. And they actually wrote, in the syllabus, this is why you lost. Like, this is why it doesn't work. So after the break, I'm going to go through, not line by line, but section by section so that you understand the question that was presented, whether admission systems used by Harvard College and University of North Carolina are lawful under the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. That is what the argument was. Eight three three two one two one zero one seven is the number. And if you don't miss anything, the one thing you need to do with this case is to follow the money. And that is Dr. Ken's Truth on the new 1017 The Truth. This is Truth in the Afternoon with Dr. Ken Harris on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. You're listening to Truth in the Afternoon. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Harris. 833-212-1017 is the number. So I'm going to jump into this. So, Harvard College... And just so you know, Harvard College is the is the four year undergraduate institution. Harvard University is the graduate schools and the 10 professional schools and all that. Or is it the 10? You know what? Why don't you click this and read it? <laughs> Harvard College founded in 1636. Oldest institution of higher learning in the United States. Harvard College is a, offers a four year undergraduate liberal arts program for students seeking their first degree. Um. Harvard University includes 10 graduate and professional schools, all of which offer programs for students who already hold their first degree and seek additional training. So there we go. Masters and doctorates. So there we go. All right. So here's here's the deal. And if you have any questions, 833-212-1017, call or hit the talk and text. So basically... An organization represented Hispanic student who tried to get into Harvard College and six other Ivy League schools and was rejected by them all. His friends told him, hey, dude, don't even bother because you're not going to get in. Why? Because you're Asian. And it's difficult for Asians to get in 
Ivy League schools now because, you know, their process. So here's here's the issue. And both schools had a similar process to get in. Application was initially screened by a first reader. They assign a numerical score in each of the six categories. Now you ready? Academic, extracurricular, athletic, school support, personal, and overall. In the overall category, there was a composite of five other ratings. A first reader can and does consider the applicant's race. Harvard's admissions subcommittee reviews all of them from a particular geographic area. These regional subcommittees make recommendations to the full admissions committee, and they take an applicant's race into account. So when the 40-member full admissions committee begins its deliberations, it discusses the relative breakdown of applications by race. The goal of the process, according to Harvard's director of admissions, is ensuring that there is no dramatic drop-off in minority admission from the prior class. An applicant receiving, get this, an applicant, an applicant receiving a majority of the full committee's vote is tentatively accepted for admission. At the end of the process, the racial composition of the tentative applicant is disclosed to the committee. The last stage of Harvard's admission process is called the LOP. It winnows the list of tentatively admitted students to arrive at the final class. Applicants that Harvard considers cutting at this stage are at the LOP list, which contains four pieces of information. Legacy status, recruitment, recruited athletic status, financial aid eligibility, and race. A, a, in the Harvard admission process, race is a determinative tip for a significant percentage of all admitted African-American and Hispanic applicants. So UNC has kind of the same thing going. The petitioner was Students for Fair Admissions, nonprofit organization whose stated purpose is to defend human and civil rights secured by law, including the right of individuals to equal protection under the law. So this, this argument came that race-based admission programs violate, respectively, Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. That's pretty much it. So we went back and forth and back and forth, and basically they held that Harvard and University of North Carolina's admissions programs violate the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. And so there were arguments that went back and forth and back and forth, and one of the things you should understand is a state agency with no traditional members could still qualify as a genuine membership organization in substance because of an agency represents the interests of individuals and others. That's called, there, there, was a, there was a case, and they created this thing called the hunt test for an organization. So in other words, an organization could sue for you instead of you suing if the, if the organization met certain criteria, well, this Students for Fair, whatever it was, SFFA, met the organizational test standing, they were able to then represent the Asian student. And so it went through. Um, 
They talk about the 14th Amendment. They talk about Plessy. And then they go to Brown. What Brown versus the Board of Education was to do, um, you know, you had Plessy, you had Brown, you know, Plessy v. Ferguson, you had all those cases. The cases during this period attempted to curtail the perniciousness of the document, the harmfulness of the doctrine by emphasizing that it required states to provide black students educational opportunities equal to if formally separated from, right? And then we start fighting and all that. And then Brown versus the Board of Education tore down separate but equal, tore down Plessy, right? Plessy gave you separate but equal. Brown said, absolutely not. You will give them the same thing anywhere, wherever they go. Well, the culmination of the approach, of course, Brown versus the Board of Education kind of threw it out. The court overturned the separate but equal established in Plessy v. Ferguson and began on the path of invalidating all de jure racial discrimination by the state and federal government. What is de jure? Well, de jure means rightfully entitled. So because white people thought they were rightfully, they were rightfully entitled to things and black people were not, they tore that down and said, um, no, that's not how the Constitution works. It works. So. That what, what they really, really wanted to do is eliminate racial discrimination. And one of the things we have to remember is eliminating racial discrimination means eliminating all of it for everybody. So according to the court, they've held that the Equal Protection Clause applies without regard to any differences of race or of nationality in its universal application. And so that's been proven over and over, and they've had exceptions, and they've been beat down, beat back. Um, we talked about the Baki decision the other day in California, and all those things have now come to a head. So there was another case, Gruder, that imposed limits on race-based admission programs. And so that's been around for about 20 years. And so now this case came up. The court ruled that the respondents failed to operate their race-based admissions. That's Harvard College and University of North Carolina failed to operate their race-based admissions program in a manner that was sufficiently, now get this, measurable to permit judicial review under the rubric of strict scrutiny. So what is, what does all that say? Well, strict scrutiny says to pass the strict scrutiny test, a law has to be narrowly tailored to serve a compelling government interest. Is it of government interest to have black or Hispanic people go to school in place of someone else? What we're actually saying is you have to be able to measure it. So how can you measure it now? The interest that respondents review as compelling is not subjected to any meaningful measure. Now, as a black person, we've heard these things be mentioned all the time. Um, we're training future leaders. We're acquiring new knowledge based on diverse outlooks, uh, promoting a robust marketplace of ideas, preparing engaged and productive citizens. While these are commendable goals, the Supreme Court said they're not sufficiently coherent for purposes of strict scrutiny. In other words, you can't measure them. 
That way I can just apply it to anybody, right? I should be able to apply the strict scrutiny to everybody. And, and I can't. I can't measure it. So you saying I'm picking a black person over a white person because I am promoting a robust marketplace of ideas in the classroom? How do you measure that? Well, they couldn't come up with something. They had no way of doing that. Second, the admissions programs failed to articulate a meaningful connection between the means they employ and the goals they pursue. In the end, what what is this going to look like? In the end, what is this? To achieve the educational benefits of diversity, respondents measure the racial composition of their classes using, using racial categories that are plainly overbroad. For example, no concern whether you're South Asian or East Asian, just that you're Asian. Arbitrary and undefined. The unclear connection between the goals that they seek and the means they employ precluded the court from meaningfully scrutinizing the admissions program. They couldn't measure it. And if you can't measure it, you can't compare one to the other. So then basically... They threw it out. And so essentially what's what's happening is the case got overturned. They said because Harvard and UNC's admissions program lacked sufficiently focused and measurable objectives warranting the use of race, unavoidably employ race in a negative manner which means I have to exclude one instead of, no, I have to exclude one to add someone. They overturned it. It lacked meaningful endpoints. It involved racial stereotyping, and the admissions program cannot be reconciled with the guarantee of equal protection clause. At the same time, nothing prohibits universities from considering, now get this, an applicant's discussion of how race affected the applicant's life so long as that discussion is concretely tied to a quality of character or unique ability that the particular applicant can contribute to the university. Now, this is what it was before that, right? You had to write a letter, and then you put it in a letter, and we always couched it in the letter. And there was never a thing of whether or not you had to figure out race. And then they said, hey, we're going to put um, a personal essay in, which is one of the criteria they had. Had they left it there, we would not be sitting here right now. But because many times we want to, I forget the word I used before, um, many times we want to make ourselves look like everybody else, right? Well, they're doing it, so we're going to do it. But we're going to step out further. We're just going to say it's race. Well, that's great, but now you shot yourself in the foot. Now, is there a way around it? Sure. There's a way around it. Many universities have for too long wrongly concluded that the touchstone of an individual's identity is not challenges bested, skills built, or lessons learned, but the color of their skin. So what they're telling you is when you apply for school, you can include your race in your letter. You also should include skills built, challenges you've had. Lessons you've learned growing up. You can mention your race. And that's it. 
And so when you look at it on its face, it sounds bad. But in actuality, it'll just enable them to go back to choosing the old way. Now I'll be able to exclude you because I'll see in your personal essay race. And now you're gone. Before, that didn't come till the end. So all the criteria showed you. It wasn't until the very end when the full committee got to you. Well, now that's not going to matter. 833-212-1017 is the number. What, what are your thoughts about this in terms of admissions in colleges? We already had trouble going to college. We already had issues going on. And now we cannot use race as a factor. In choosing a school, even if it's to race balance. And if we race balance, we can't use quotas because a quota would actually reduce the number of black students in some schools because you would always hit that invisible barrier of 13 or 14 percent of the population. So now what? Traffic, sports and weather up next. You are listening to Truth in the Afternoon with Dr. Ken Harris on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. This is Truth in the Afternoon with Dr. Ken Harris on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. You're listening to Truth in the Afternoon. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Harris, 833-212-1017 is the number. You know, Milwaukee, the time is almost here. In 12, 16 hours or so, somebody going to beat an already won the Gruber Law Office's 5K giveaway for the first three months. We gave it away, and now it's the second three months. This Friday, tomorrow, 8.30 a.m., we'll pick our one call. That's all $5,000 giveaway winner. Make sure you tune in to Truth Be Told with DT and Telly on Friday, 8.30 a.m., tomorrow, in about a little less than 14 hours. And make sure you don't miss your call, because if you're a qualifier and they call and you don't answer, we're going to the next person. So, um, make sure you're there to find out who's going to be the 5,000 K 5,000 K 5,000 5,000 would be like $5 million. Uh, no, let's try $5,000. Um, again, that's the Gruber law offices, 5k giveaway tomorrow, this Friday, 8 30 AM truth be told on the new one or one seven, the truth. So I'm, I'm just, every time I read that, I get upset and mad cause I can't win. I've been mad about that for two, what, three years? So, you know. <laughs> I have. It's too much stuff going on this weekend. It's a second weekend, a summer fest. And I think, what, Earth, Wind, and Fire is there tonight. Uh, City Girls. 
a boogie with the hoodie. Sean Paul, Earth, Wind, and Fire. Everybody going to be there. I'm not going to be there. But don't miss out on all the fun. Milwaukee's biggest summer party. Get your tickets now at Summerfest.com. Summerfest presented by our founding partner, American Family Insurance, to which our studio is named after. And I want to say thank you to our official Summerfest food provider, Major Goolsby. So that's really one of the only reasons I would go to Summerfest, because when I was working, you got to eat at Major Goolsby. So. <clears throat> and they got some pretty good hot dogs, hamburgers. I think they have Polish. So I always have trouble saying Polish sausages and Polish. Aren't they spelled the same? Polish and Polish. <laughs> like Polish and nail polish. I used to always get weirded out like, who? Yes, those are the weird, technical, bizarre things I used to say. 833-212-1017 is the number. Uh, the caller said, allowing the use of family legacy allows European-American students who would otherwise be unqualified to attend college. That is a ball face half-truth. My school, my wife's school, both of my daughter's schools, where they went to college, takes legacy, family legacy into account. My grandchildren could go to any of our schools and part of the criteria is legacy. And I'm okay with that. Legacy flattens that if you went, they have a chance of going too. That's just how it works. Why? Because they'll eventually, if I have a family legacy, if I had lineage, then you're probably going to give more money. You're probably going to give more, right? Howard does it. North Kakalaka A&T. Um, Morehouse. I'm sure they all do it. I'm okay with it. They, they went on to add, the caller said, the college admission decision is much like the debate about Negro League baseball players being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Black students were excluded from attending certain schools for generations just as players who were not allowed to play for MLB teams. So, but, but I, I don't understand your analogy. But we're here now. So we should denigrate the ones that are here, the ones that have made it, the ones that got in because, what, we don't like the way they got in? I don't I, I have an idea and I've read the story of how W. E. B. Du Bois graduated from Harvard, first black with a PhD in sociology. I read some of the stuff he'd gone through. But did they choose him because he's black? If you read the story, you'll learn that Du Bois got chosen, or should I say the other guy didn't get chosen because Du Bois was black and so was he. Had he been a white guy, he would have got chosen to be number two. But the black guy couldn't be number two behind Du Bois because they already had Du Bois. You know, that rule that always goes around that, well, you got one, you don't, you don't get two. You, you got one, and that's it. And it's unfortunate, but that's kind of how life works. And so we have to be cognizant of the fact that certain things work in our favor, we take advantage of it. Should the Negro League Baseball... First of all, people complaining that Negro League Baseball players are in the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. What do I care? They're in. And they played better baseball and were more entertaining than Major League Baseball back in the day. 
But in my top five at five, I'm going to have some very pointed um, <clears throat> things that we should do in relation to this college admissions and affirmative action. And then that way, everyone will be able to understand where I'm coming from. 414-949 said, I just wish the narrative of black people succeeding wouldn't be the exception, but it would be the rule. It is the rule. It is the rule. Let me let me go back. You wrote this impression. I'm under the impression that it's allocating funds or resources to people that are either discriminated. I think that's from Tory Lowe. So anyway, um, I wish the narrative of black people succeeding. First of all, we don't make the narrative. We allow white mainstream media to make the narrative. We don't speak up. We don't create our own. All we do is keep comparing ourselves to white people and what they have and what we have. I say, the heck with that. Let's just do our own. But see, y'all got me already started on the top five. We, we need to start looking at some things because no one makes your narrative for you. You make your own. And we'll have a couple suggestions on if people don't follow your narrative, how to actually make your own. More of Truth in the Afternoon with Dr. Ken Harrison is next on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. This is Truth in the Afternoon with Dr. Ken Harris on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. You're listening to Truth in the Afternoon with Dr. Ken Harris. So we've got a couple of responses from uh, different organizations and different uh, places um, that talk about this new ruling. One from the National Association of College Admission Counseling and another one where, where it, it, it talks about um, the Coalition for College. Today, the Supreme Court announced its ruling in the consideration of race and college admissions, a decision that will have far-reaching negative consequences. While we recognize that today's ruling is a blow to our ability to address inequity in the admission process, it cannot and will not deter our resolve in ex- to expand college access, create diverse and inclusive communities for learning, and to educate and graduate talented students from all backgrounds. Ruling does not mean that we will need to work. The ruling does mean that we will need to work harder within these new constraints to fulfill our mission, to inspire students to see college in their future and support them through a search and enrollment process that best positions them for college success, particularly students from backgrounds that are marginalized and underrepresented in higher ed because of the presence. And and it goes on to talk about they're going to focus on serving under-resourced communities and high schools with higher percentages of students who qualify for free and reduced lunch. My question is, what's the criteria that you're, losing, that you're using to, uh, to, to apply towards students that you believe will make it into your school? Because if you remove that and use something that's more holistic, like a personal letter, then... 
your perception of black and brown people will not be so negative because you continually think of black and brown people that the only way that the only way that you can come up with a number or something quantifiable is that they get free or reduced lunch. They said, unfortunately, these schools educate an overrepresented share of black, indigenous, and Latinx. You mean Latino students, because most Latinos don't even like being called Latinx. But they didn't create it, so I guess that's what that is. And other communities that have been historically underrepresented on college campuses. Why not just let them in? Why not just read their letter? Anyway, through our new partnership with um, Skyre, S-C-O-I-R, um, which provides discounted services to these schools. We're delivering a streamlined application process. And so they've already started creating ways to get around what they said. And so ironically, when I was going to college, these are the ways that we had. Like we we didn't, rarely did they use race. They used quantifiable, measurable things. And then in your Letter, everybody always knew that you had to include somehow race in your letter, and that's how they understood and knew. So if some of your other components got you that far to make it to the admissions piece, and then you were able to be read, your letter is what got you through. And so I believe that this will go far in helping us understand, us black people understand how the system has been created to not necessarily not let us in school, but to literally slow down the number of us in school. Because education is the great equalizer. Regardless of what anyone tells you, regardless of what anyone says, it's a great equalizer. The caller said, more on a positive, rhythmic note, good doc, is it possible that before August 11th you might provide any real evidence that hip-hop started 35 years ago, my brother? Eh. Subtract 35 years from today. What's that? 88? 78? If y'all want to count 50, count 50. I was listening to house music 50 years ago, so I don't don't know what y'all talking about. Because it seems like every year that number goes from, hey, it's 35 years old. Oh, it's 40 years old. Well, wait a minute. Time out. Who's counting what? And then all of a sudden it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Next year, hip hop will be 60 years old. And then what? We just agree to disagree. That's all. And if you want to fight about it, call me. 833 <laughs> 1017 is the number. So at the top five at five, what we're going to look at is I'm going to have five things students can do in order to overcome the Supreme Court decision on college admissions. I think it's time we take a, 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 a clear, holistic view on getting admitted to college. 
I think no matter what, we can't make the alternative. Oh, just go to a two-year school or just go get your, um, you know, go get trade and that's it. Which is phenomenal, by the way. I totally agree. If that's your jam, go get a trade. But if it's not and you want to go to a four-year university and graduate with a bachelor's degree, regardless of what your major is. And by the way, don't let people talk you out of majoring in what you want to major in. Recognize and understand that black people are back thinking, right? We want to fill in the gaps that's called our history, where we came from, how we came to where we are, the migration, things of that nature. So we, we go to psychology, sociology, anthropology, so we can fill in those gaps and create a historical picture the same way white people have. Like I know white people, oh yeah, my mother and my father and my cousin and my uncle and da 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 and all the way back to so-and-so who came from England and 16 such and such. We don't have that luxury because, you know, we were raped and pillaged and enslaved and put in chains and brought over here. And our language was beaten out of us and our heritage was stolen from us. And we built stuff like, you know, the White House. And so at some point, we have to come to grips with we now have the money. And we'll talk about that in our top five at five. And that's why I said in my opening, Dr. Ken's truth, follow the money. Because we have to become a group of people that are untouchable. I think Sherwin said it best. When a white male billionaire called Donald Trump can do the things that he does and still have the backing of white women and white men and some black people. When we hold black people to, oh, my God, he smoked a joint. He thought about smoking a joint. He tried to smoke a joint. Oh, no, we can't have him in office. Oh, no, we can't follow her. She had financial trouble. Oh, no, we can't do that. The way the local media digs up a person's past and starts pointing at them for absolutely no reason. Like, why would we need to know that somebody else who's a public figure had financial trouble? As if they've never had financial trouble. As if it's some albatross around people's neck but that's what we have and so with this admissions case we're going to have to change the way that we deal with the world we're going to have to change the way that we present ourselves which means we have to take a look at social media we have to look take a look at tv radio have to take a look at anything that reflects the diaspora. And when we do, it's going to have what I perceive to be a deleterious effect on other people. And when I say it, it'll sound bad. And the only remedy I have for you for it sounding bad is this. It's supposed to. 